0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Seeds and Weeds podcast brought to you by Small House Farm. Today, we're sitting down for a conversation with Andrew Bunting, the vice president of the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. We'll be talking about this year's gardening trends, the Philadelphia Flower Show, and we'll even play a quick round of This or That. All right, let's get into it. Hello, Andrew. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, to get us started, could you just tell me a little bit more about the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society and what you do there in your role as vice president? Sure. Uh, The Pennsylvania Horticultural Society is almost 200 years old.
1: We were founded in uh, 1827, and the mission of PHS is really to advance the health and well-being of people in the Philadelphia region through horticulture. And we do this work based on four impact priorities, which is creating healthy living environments, increasing access to fresh food, expanding economic opportunity and building meaningful social connections. Uh, In my position as vice president of horticulture, I'm really involved in um, uh, many of the different departments of phs including advising on our public gardens and landscapes I also advise on different parts of and assist with uh, different parts of the flower show i do a lot of communications like podcasts and writing and lectures and interviews and and things like that around uh, ornamental horticulture. So I I get involved in many different facets of the organization.
0: That's excellent. At the end of last year, the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society announced their list of what they predicted to be the top trends that gardeners can expect to see in 2023. And this list includes things from like battery-powered garden tools, all the way to specialty house plants. How do you guys put this list together? And is there a... uh, overarching theme in what's expected to be trending in our gardens this year? It's not a a really scientific process, but uh, over the course
1: of a year, I try to, through a number of different channels, get out and see what's going on. So I go go to a lot of trade shows. In fact, I was at one yesterday in Brooklyn called Plantarama, which is a one-day trade show and some lectures every year. So I kind of do a multitude of things. I go to probably close to a dozen trade shows, mostly national, but I also go to some international shows. Like last year, I went to Floriad in the Netherlands and the Hampton Court Show in London. I go to a lot of lectures or I I, review a lot of lectures either online or in person. I give a lot of lectures. I also go to a lot of public gardens. Over the course of the year, I probably go to at least uh, 50. And then I probably subscribe to Not every Gardening Magazine, but most Gardening Magazine and a lot of uh, specialty journals for different uh, societies. So I figure all that information kind of goes into kind of a hopper. And then, uh, you know, I just kind of keep an eye on what seems to be hot. And you can kind of, especially going to the trade shows, you can really start to see those things that are either trending or starting to trend, or in a lot of cases, like houseplants are continuing to a trend
0: that's interesting. You know, not a bad gig. I'm sure there's work involved, but it does sound like a lot of fun. <laughs>
1: yeah, I would say it's it's both. It is uh, does require work and evenings and weekends and so forth, uh, but it's also fun. So yeah, you're you're right. It's uh, you know I I often say to lots of people that you know it's great to have a, a profession that's also your passion. So it just for me it just kind of all all bleeds together.
0: Right now, what do they say? Uh, do what you love, you'll. Never Never work a day in your life. Right. That's right. Now, this list of expected garden trends for 23, um, it was first listed in a blog post on the uh, PHS website. Uh, and I'm going to put a link to that down in the show notes for the folks that are interested in seeing that full list. Uh, but I think that right now we should play a quick round of this or that. What I'm going to do okay. is I'm going to give you a couple of options and you're going to either choose this or Or that, and then tell us why. Sure. All right. As the vice president of horticulture for the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, you're considered a bit of a gardening expert. So which do you prefer to use in your garden for mulch? Wood chips or leaves? Leaves. Leaves. Why do you think that you prefer leaves? Well,
1: a couple of reasons. I like I like the aesthetic of it. I, I think it looks a little bit more natural, and then it actually decomposes into organic matter more quickly than wood chips. Wood chips actually, if they're not already decomposed or decomposing, they can actually rob nitrogen from the soil during the
0: decomposition process. Sure, sure. Another thing that I love about leaves uh, compared to wood chips is the price.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can also kind of sell manufacture your leaves, your your leaf or leaf compost as well. So how do you like to process them? Do you shred them up first
0: or do you use them whole?
1: Actually, what I do in my yard is I gather up all the leaves and put them put them right in the compost pile and kind of compost there and then spread. What I would advocate for homeowners is you can take either approach. I have a friend who just leaves the leaves whole as the mulch in his beds. But, you know, it can be kind of a coarse aesthetic and then it can, depending on the amount of leaves, leaves and the size of leaves, it can be difficult for plants to kind of penetrate them. So can the next best option is to rake them out into your lawn, mow over them a couple times, and then rake them back into the bed. And I think for some people, that's a, a little bit more of a refined aesthetic. And then the, I think it does aid in the decomposition process a little bit.
0: Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Two of the predicted gardening trends um, on the list involve house plants, which you know, they've certainly seen an increase in popularity in recent years. But Andrew, Do you prefer the more common house plants, like, I don't know, things like air plants or aloe, or do you prefer something a bit more exotic? I'd
1: say a bit more... Exotic, uh, although I do have things like I have a spider plant and some other pretty common things. So you know, I I don't I don't mind them. But you know, you know, in the house plant world, I mean, the cra- the craze is uh, you know the aeroids, the monstera's, and the pothos and the scandapsis and anthuriums. There's a lot of species to begin with within those plants, and then there's been all sorts of hybridizing and selection work that's that just helps to expand the offerings. You know, 30 years ago, the only houseplants you could get were like a, a fiddle leaf fig or a spider plant or a jade plant or mother-in-law's tongue. And now you can still get all those, but you can get hundreds of more uh, selections. Now, are most of these
0: low-maintenance plants or are they a little bit finicky?
1: I would say most are relatively low-maintenance. For you know, so, for some of the aeroids, you do need a bit more uh, humidity. You know, most houses tend to be on the dry side, but I would say in large part, they're all, you know, relatively easy to grow. You know, they can take low light conditions. A lot of them prefer to be on the on the dry side. So, you know, I've seen lots of pictures online of people with minimal house space, but fairly extensive house plant collections.
0: That's nice. I particularly enjoy the house plants in the wintertime because it gives me an opportunity to do some gardening in the winter too. Right, that's right. So now that being said, so gardening, Gardening is something that we can do all year, you know, and each season brings its own challenges and rewards. Do you like spring gardening or fall? I like the spring. May, I would say
1: May is my favorite month because it's, you know, gardens are. Have kind of healed themselves from the winter. Perennials are coming up. It's uh, warm enough to start planting, especially towards the end of May in Philadelphia, start planting your summer annuals and tropicals and containers and so forth. So, you know, it's um, an exciting time of the garden. I try to avoid going on vacation. Luckily, all the trade shows are, they tend to be um, winter oriented. So most trade shows are in January or February. So they're kind of out of the way.
0: Sure. I mean, if they had the trade shows during the spring or summer, none of us would be able to go.
1: That's right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, they're all, not all, but there, there are many in, in uh, January, especially.
0: Sure. I like spring gardening too. You know, it's just so exciting after being kind of cooped up all winter to get out there and get working in the soil again. But there is something to be said for fall gardening, right? I mean, it's, it's definitely uh, a great time to get out there and garden as well. The season's certainly not over yet.
1: Yeah. No, fall has, uh, you know, kind of had a, I guess, a renaissance of sorts as far as gardening goes. I think, you know, for a long time, fall was kind of uh, viewed as, you know, the time to start putting your garden to bed. But probably for, you know, last 20 years or so, fall has been really promoted as a, a season for planting. It's, a good, it's a, actually a good time of year to plant perennials and shrubs and trees because what you get is the soil is still relatively warmer than the air temperature. So even though it may feel cool, Cool. outside. You can put in any permanent plants and they get actually fairly good root growth going into the winter, but not a lot of stress from up above because uh, the temperatures are, are cool and sometimes uh, it's moist. And then there's this whole kind of other movement or trend to actually plant seasonal plants for the fall. So it's almost like, you know, in the spring, you might plant uh, pansies or other or snapdragons or other cool season annuals and then summer, you do all your annuals and tropicals. Now there's a whole, if you go to a lot of garden centers, there's a whole nother kind of range of annuals for the fall. Things like ornamental cabbages and kales and asters, ornamental peppers, and things that they often have kind of autumnal colors. But the idea is that If you're so inclined, you can have a whole nother season in the fall with fall interest annuals. And if you live in a part of the country where you have a long fall, like, you know, a good portion of the East Coast or or California or the South, uh, you know, a lot of those plants will go way past Halloween, probably considerably long into into November.
0: Absolutely. You know, and you'd mentioned, uh, you know, cabbages and kale and that sort of thing. We grow a lot of food crops here on our farm. And I find that a lot of those uh, particular crops almost seem to do better for me in the fall. You know, it's, it's the weather's a little more mild, you know, spring can get, you know, pretty wild out there with uh, fluctuations in temperature and all the rain and that sort of thing. So some of those crops I think do better in the fall, even.
1: Yeah. You know, like kale, which is, you know, it's kind of twofold. It's both, uh, you know, a great ornamental and like you said, is hardy. Like we've had seasons where, you know, we have ornamental kale and eventually the winter comes and, you know, it kind of looks limp out in the landscape, but then it kind of revives in the spring and actually kale in flower in the spring. It has these spikes of kind of soft sulfur yellow
0: flowers can be quite ornamental as well. Absolutely. It's a beautiful plant for sure. That's going to segue right into my next question here. Um, And this might be a tough one. I don't know, but if you could only choose one, would you grow a flower garden or a food garden? Ooh, um,
1: I'm going to say at this point in my life, flowers. Uh, I started when I was in high school. I was a pretty avid vegetable gar- gardener. That's where I kind of uh, developed my, I, I guess, original interest in horticulture. Maybe even before then, I did some gardening, vegetable gardening with my mother. And then on and off throughout my adult life, I have had vegetable gardens. But uh, where I have my vegetable garden now is has gotten too shady for most vegetables so yeah I would personally uh gravitate towards uh flowering and plants with an
0: interesting foliage I think sure we can always walk the line down the middle and grow uh edible flowers right
1: yeah yeah or you know like I said like there's so many ornamental kales and peppers you know and, and other vegetables let lettuce you know I've seen some great um, ornamental mustard greens that are purple and I've seen lettuces that are kind of purple purplish and There's one out that's kind of chartreuse colored, so you know, just mixing in uh, vegetables in your ornamental plantings is now uh, much easier to do than ever before.
0: All right, now here's our last this or that question. If you had to choose only one of these plants for your landscape, which would it be, magnolias or camellias? Uh, I would say definitely magnolias
1: because I mean we can we can grow camellias here in Philadelphia. Um, They've done better and better over the years but magnolia is uh the genus is so broad and we can grow so many different ones in uh, this part of the country and in fact if you live anywhere in the country you can probably grow a magnolia like there are some like magnolia stellata star magnolia that's hardy in in places like north dakota but as you go you know into the s- south East most of the Midwest you know all all of the west coast you know there's a lot of magnolias you can grow so I, I like the breadth and the depths of the genus fantastic now did you write a book about magnolias I did I wrote the plant lovers guide to magnolias probably six or seven years ago
0: awesome that's all the time we have for this or that today uh thank you for playing with us before we get going though um I know the Philadelphia flower show it's coming up pretty soon so could you tell us all a little bit about that and what why we should make the trip to check out uh, this fantastic flower show. Sure. So
1: the Philadelphia Flower Show has been running since... Uh, 1829. So it's the the biggest indoor flower show in the world. The last two years were actually outdoors because of the pandemic, but normally it's indoors. And in the greater Philadelphia area, or really in the mid-Atlantic, it does kind of signify the beginning of spring. It's not exactly the beginning of spring. It's uh, usually end of February, early March. This year, it's March 4th uh, through the 12th. Uh, you can find out more information on the show, purchase tickets, etc., by going to phsonline.org. And what's great about the Flower Show is that um, I think it has something for everyone. So we have large exhibits done by uh, designers from all over the world. We have some who are foreign, some who are from other parts of the U.S., like Portland and Indiana. And then we have some that are hyper local as well from Philadelphia. There's a part of the Flower Show called the Horticor which is really kind of how the flower show began almost 200 years ago, which is an area where individuals can bring in individual plants and showcase them in 200 different categories and they get judged. There's three different judgings uh, throughout the flower show and it's highly competitive. The only thing, the only prerequisite to uh, be in the horticord is you have to be an individual. So you can't be a company and enter plants, but an individual could be anybody from a city dweller in an apartment to, you know, somebody with an estate out in the country and, you know, 10 full-time gardeners. So the, the competition is great, but that is a part of the show that's always been robust and, and growing. And over the course of the 10 days of the show, we'll get about 5,000 entries. We have... A, a several educational exhibits done by local colleges and high schools and plant societies. And then there's a marketplace which has hundreds of vendors of all sorts of horticulturally related uh, products, everything from plants to cut flowers to, um, you know, uh, clothing and scarves and jewelry and, you know, anything that's kind of touches on horticulture is represented in in the marketplace.
0: Man, that sounds awesome. Give us the link one more time for For folks that want to check out the flower show, phsonline.org. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the show, Andrew. We really had a great time hanging out with you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Big thanks to Andrew Bunting for being on the show today. You can find links to the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society and the Philadelphia Flower Show down in the show notes. As always, you can support our podcast by subscribing to our Patreon page. You can find that link and many more at seedsandweedspodcast.com. The music you're enjoying right now is called Catch It by Coma Media. Thanks again for joining us on this special bonus episode. I'm Bevan Cohen, and we'll see you next time. Howdy, friends. Bevan here. You know, the Seeds and Weeds podcast is made possible in part by Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company, rareseeds.com. They're America's top source for rare and heirloom varieties from around the world, and they're publisher of the whole seed catalog. Their 2024 catalog is chocked full of heirloom goodness, new varieties, recipes, stories, and gorgeous photographs. You can order yours now at rareseeds.com.